This podcast may contain language and subject matter that some people could find offensive. Please do not listen to this podcast if easily offended. Otherwise, enjoy the show. Hello and welcome along to the Falling Star Wrestling Podcast. In the show today, we'll be looking back at our most recent live show. It was the Christmas show and myself and Jimmy will be rating, reviewing and just generally going over the fallout from the show. Good morning, afternoon or evening. I'm your host for the show today. I'm one half of the disaster artist and the aerosol assassin, Patrick Vincent Crown, a.k.a. PVC. And on the line is my co-conspirator and the other half of TDA. It's the man they call Jimmy Starr. The Christmas show, as always, is such fun and everyone enjoys themselves and lets their hair down just a little bit. But that doesn't mean we didn't have some awesome matches and further some stories heading into next year. Oh, no. Stick around today to find out exactly what went down. We also announced the winners of our annual FSW Awards, Newcomer, Training, Fan, Match and Wrestler of the Year categories, and we'll go through all of those as well. Before we jump into the podcast, I just want to say what a pleasure it's been having you with us, the fans that tune in each and every week to hear us chat about wrestling. It's what I love to do, and to hear your feedback is amazing. So thank you for sticking around this year, and we hope you'll continue to do so next year as well. All right, we have loads to get through today. Wrestlers dancing and eating dog food, Christmas presents, heel turn, crazy costumes, and a giant slap to the face. So sit back, relax, and enjoy us reviewing the seventh annual Christmas show from West Lynn. Falling Star Wrestling presented its seventh annual Christmas extravaganza this past Saturday night at the Westland Sports and Social Club in Kings Lynn. Fun, festivities and fighting occurred and myself and Jimmy are here to chat about it all today. There's plenty to talk about. We had six matches, two title bouts, a gauntlet match, a rumble and a heated grudge match. It's fair to say that this event had it all. Some might even say it had too much but that's what we're here today to chat about Jimmy I hope you recovered from the show and also from after the show as well hope you're doing well and how do you think the Christmas show went overall this year mate I think it was one of the better ones to be honest with you I mean the thing about Christmas is excess excessive eating excessive drinking excessive partying excessive time with your family excessive everything so if you're going to do a Christmas show and you're going to do a Christmas bash, then it needs to be excessive. This show isn't necessarily about the Christmas bash. It's never been really about even necessarily fitting into our storylines as much as it has been about having fun, creating feel-good moments, and just giving that people that end-of-year blowout that they need. They've seen 11 months, 22 shows of fairly serious falling star wrestling competition, obviously of various different levels and aggressions, but they, they know what to not half expect from our shows, but they know that they, we've got a formula and they know how our shows work. But with our Christmas show, you throw all that out the window and just let pretty much, well, I do pretty much let everyone do what they want to do and just come up with their own creations. And for better or for worse, shows are normally long. They're normally packed full of stuff. The fans by the end of it are probably normally exhausted, but that's Christmas. It's about getting sick of too much of a good thing. And plus, we know we're not going to see people until January. And I know that is only a month, which is normally roughly between how we work our normal shows. But for Falling Star Wrestling in January, 
We normally only have the one show anyway. And then we start putting two shows back on from February onwards. That's the way it normally works. So it just gives people that bit of falling star wrestling action just before they go out of 2022 and into 2023. Yeah, I thought it was a great way to end the year and it was just a lot of insanity, a lot of craziness. And I guess if you're ready, Jim, we'll jump right into talking about the matches. Yeah, of course. Bowman. Alrighty, so we opened up the Falling Star Wrestling Christmas extravaganza with a tag team match. The Dark Wolf, Matt Walters, he was with All-Pro Sean Stone, who was flanked by Samuel Bloody Wakefield, going up against the Falling Star Wrestling Limitless Champion Furio and the current Falling Star Wrestling Champion Cali Gray. Both teams featuring unlikely pairings, but there's rhyme and reason to this. Cali and Matt have a deep feud which came to a head at Linsport in October, and Sean Stone recently picked up a DQ win over Furio at our most recent Outwell show. Furo and Stone start this match and kick off the 2022 Christmas show. Furo sweeps both legs and starts to ground and pound attack on Stone. Stone does not like this and quickly tags out to the Dark Wolf. This causes the crowd to erupt into chants of Cali, Cali. The Linsport headliners clash together with Matt hitting an early tackle and the first attempt at putting this match away quickly. Cali then responds by trying for the cemetery driver and then it's a back and forth between the two until Cali knocks Matt to the canvas. It's time for Chop City now as Dark Wolf and the Black Rose trade shops in the ring with them blasting around the hall. Chop soon turn into forearms and stiff shots. Callie follows up with a shot in the corner and a neck breaker but it's not able to put the Dark Wolf down for the three count. Callie tags in Furo and the pair actually look quite cohesive with a few shots followed with a low drop kick from the Kung Fu Vampire. His momentum is quickly halted as his leg is grabbed by the mouthpiece on the outside Samuel Bloody Wakefield. This distraction is enough for Matt to take full advantage and level Furio with a gigantic clothesline. Stone gets tagged in and rings Furio's neck across the middle rope. Stone hits a suplex, but the referee correctly spots that Furio's shoulders aren't on the mat, so refuses to count. This obviously annoys Sean Stone, who is the father of the referee, Andy Stone. Stone and Walters work on Furio behind the distracted ref's back, and on the outside, Wakefield is having a field day. Dark Wolf smashes Furo with boots and kicks on the ground, but the vampire, he will not quit. Furo tries to mount a comeback, but the Dark Wolf is too powerful and drills Furo into the mat with a sky-high front slam. Dark Wolf tags in his partner and Stone comes in to work on Furo, but as if by magic, Furo spins out and lands a devastating Impaler DDT. Both men are down and Callie is gasping for the hot tag. Both Stone and Furo tag out to the respective partners and Callie comes in like a tornado. Shots for Matt, shots for Stone, followed up by snapping a wicked German suplex on Dark Wolf. A follow-up combo slam is not enough to keep the Dark Wolf down. Samuel Bloody Wakefield, he's looking very nervous on the outside. Callie tries once more for the cemetery driver, but Matt spins out and lands a series of signature moves. Underhook knee buster, jumping head kick, topped off by that Michinoku driver. The champion kicks out after two. It's not enough at this stage. Samuel Bloody Wakefield desires to get involved here by causing a distraction. Furio, he's having nothing of this and he stalks Wakefield on the outside and delivers a giant right hand. In the meantime, Stone is tagged into the match and tries to roll up Callie Gray for a cheeky pinfall, but the ref never counts free. Callie then gets the upper hand on Stone, kick to the head, then hoists him up and down onto his head for the finish. Callie nails the cemetery driver for the win for his team. The two Falling Star Wrestling singles champs pick up an opening win here at Westley. 
in, Samuel Bloody Wakefield immediately jumps into the ring to protest the three count with referee Andy Stone, but Commissioner Robbie Reed is on the outside to make sure that things don't get messy. Samuel tells Andy he's the worst ref he's ever seen, and the audience tells Samuel Bloody Wakefield that he's scum and needs to go back to Essex. Andy Stone shows that he's not afraid of Wakefield and says that he's a better ref and a better wrestler than Samuel and is willing to prove it right here and right now. This piques the audience interest. Andy Stone takes off his referee jersey and throws it at Sean Stone as if to say, let's go boys. Robbie Reed understands what's going on and makes an unscheduled match here at the Christmas show. The match begins with a few lockups between the pair, Wakefield getting the upper hand to start, but Andy Stone soon showing he's not scared of Wakefield, but the numbers gain soon gets the better of Andy Stone as his father, Sean Stone, is distracted enough for Wakefield to land a low blow on the youngster. Andy gets back into the ring and tries to roll Wakefield up in a small package and his dad goes down for the pin, but it was a suspiciously slow count, but then Wakefield is able to switch the shoulders and Andy Stone's shoulders are on the mat and Sean Stone quickly counts to three. Sadly, Samuel Bloody Wakefield has beaten Andy Stone in this impromptu match. Now, I didn't actually get to see either of these matches live, but the crowd seemed really up for it and it was a nice way to open up the show. Quite a lot of action and story all packaged within that first kind of 30 minutes. Furio and Cali, I thought they worked really well together as a team. It was a nice way to feature one of our up-and-coming Academy stars, Sean Stone, in what would actually be a main event level match, especially when you have the likes of Cali Gray, Furio, and of course the Dark Wolf, Matt Wolf in the match. You're always going to get crisp action when you've got Matt and Callie inside the ring and then you add Furo there as a sprinkle. What's not to love? A nice basic tag team match. They worked the crowd and the crowd wanted to see the hot tag and Callie come in to run wild over the other guys. They didn't overcomplicate things with loads of false finishes or swerves. It was basically as standard as a tag match can be, but that's not a bad thing when you have this kind of an opening match. And by all accounts, it was a fun, festive show that doesn't take itself 100% seriously. The little deal at the end with Samuel and Andy was quite good. I think the crowd liked the idea of it. I'm not sure the execution was quite up to par. What can you expect? It's a referee versus a manager. It's not really going to be Steamboat versus Savage. Is it they kept it short and simple, getting some nice heat with the low blow and then Sean Stone pinning his son's shoulders to the mat. It was a cheeky little nice thing to keep the crowd interested and to see what might progress with this story in the new year when we return to the Westland Sports and Social Club in 2023. They're my thoughts. Jimmy, over to you, sir. Yeah, I think you viewed it how I wanted the crowd to view it, really, and how the guys put it together was exactly how it needed to be. You've got a mixture of abilities in there. This sort of match will do nothing but good things for Sean in terms of his training and learning when it comes to the in-ring side of things. That's not I've said to you before many a time, and we said on this podcast quite a few times, Sean Stone, psychology-wise, is very ahead of where he needs to be. <clears throat> Wrestling-wise, he's about where he needs to be, and he knows that he's got a fair bit to, to learn on that side of things with timing and you know, body language and stuff like that. But when you're in there with Dark Wolf, who's Intensity 101, and his facials are just fucking exquisitely good, his body language is amazing. As a wrestler, he's all-round fucking A-star. Plus, you've got Furio, very character-driven. You've got Cali Gray, who is the FSW champion. For someone like Sean Stone, it's impossible not to learn something. So you've got something on that side of things. There's someone in there learning whilst on the job, which is a great thing. Tag team matches sometimes can be a little bit wafty to open shows, but I knew what we had coming, and 
I didn't think I could really put them anywhere else on the card. And I didn't think with the single matches that we had coming up, there could be a single match on first either. So the tag formula, keeping it basic, the basic story worked for the crowd as well. And also you said the match story driven, not only the baby faces got the win, so the crowd got to pop. There was obviously a referee versus manager match at the end. Something I probably wouldn't do on a hall show. I might do it at another wrestling somewhere, but it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be as well disguised, like you say. You're not going to have a Ricky Steamboat, Ric Flair type match here. You don't need it. You just need a story to come out of it. Something for people to latch onto to think what the fuck's going to happen next year. And that's also something we've got to remember when we're doing these shows. And as time goes on. There's a lot that happened in the show. Yeah, fair enough. It's a Christmas show. It's a Christmas extravaganza. It's fucking mince pies and fucking and shots of brandy all around. But at the end of the day, we still need people to come back next year. So we need continuations on storylines and bits and bobs that are going on. So the Samuel Wakefield and Andy Stone and Sean Stone, palaver and drama, that can still carry on. Yeah, of course, there are things that you could nitpick on and change and, and things that, you know, that I tell the guys when I saw them at training face to face. But actually, as an opener and a story arc with a little bit tacked on to the end to actually create even more of a story within the match and that whole sort of section and that whole sort of bit. Quite exciting and a really good way to open the show, I think, and a way to get the crowd really emotionally fueled for the rest of the night, you know? Yeah, most definitely. And I think it's going to be one of those things where somebody like Sean Stone and Samuel Wakefield and Andy Stone, they are going to want a lot of feedback from this match. There's nothing that we can say to the Dark Wolf, to Cali Gray, to Furio, to say to those guys, oh, you should have done this or you should have done this. They're long in the teeth in the, in the wrestling ring. They know what they're doing in there. They can go out there. They can do that seven days a week, 365 days a year. But somebody like Sean Stone, I don't know whether we would be able to give that kind of feedback because A, I didn't watch the match in person and B, I watched it on a camera phone that was to the side of the ring. I couldn't quite see all of the ring, so I'm just going by what I could see in the match. And I know afterwards, I spoke to Matt very briefly. I spoke to Callie very briefly. They had some things to say about how the match went in terms of how they wanted it to go. So I think, Sean Stone, if you are listening, you want feedback from me. I don't know whether I'll be able to give it to you, but I know that definitely Callie Gray, I know that definitely the Dark Wolf, Matt Waters, and Furo will definitely be able to give you that kind of feedback. There was one thing that I did notice, and I think I spoke to Furo after the match as well. Sean Stone went to send Furo into the ropes, but didn't call anything. You've got to make sure that you call something, especially as a heel. If you're taking control, if it's during the heat, you want to send somebody off and give them a clothesline, you got to let them know to give the clothesline, because I did notice that Furio, he just held onto the ropes. And that is exactly what you should do as a veteran. If somebody sends you off and they're in training, they're still in the academy, they're still learning... They've still got a long way to go. If somebody whips you and you, they haven't got anything, you've got to take your opportunity there and just be like, I'm going to have to level this guy because he didn't call anything. Is he going to expect me to go and hit him? Is he expecting to hit me? Is he going to hit me with a clothesline, a running knee, a sling blade, a Canadian destroyer? I don't know. So Furio, what he did there, he just held on, held onto the ropes and made Sean Stone come towards him, which he did a few shots to the gut and then they worked in the next spot. And that was just a small little thing that I noticed in there. But Nothing big, nothing massive, and it looked like Furio meant to do that because he was having the heat on him. Why wouldn't you do that? If you're Furio, you're getting your ass kicked, you're this monster, you're this vampire. Hold on to the ropes, make them come to you. You're the one in the defensive position there, so that's the only thing that I can say in terms of this whole match. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was good, and I think the crowd really enjoyed it too. Yeah, and also, to be honest with you, 
But even if Sean did call something and say, for example, Furio didn't hear it, there's still improvement to be made. In we have to make your calls loud. You have to make them clear. When we're in there wrestling, I don't think sometimes we realise how loud we can say shit without the crowd noticing it. Do you know what I mean? This is something I'll actually point out when we talk about our match a little bit later. But you can say things loud and clear and literally shout them across the ring. It doesn't necessarily matter. I know you're always taught to protect your calls. And I think that when people have got a camera in your face, that's probably more so true. But when you're on a live show, as long as the crowd are loud around you, they tend not to be able to hear what you're saying in the ring. So if you're talking on a conversational level, or slightly louder than conversational level, the crowd are fucking making some noise. They're not going to be able to hear you. But I've always taught my guys, if you don't hear a call, then don't come back off the ropes. And that's what Fury being experienced has, has obviously done. So he's either not heard something or Sean hasn't said something. And in, in both cases, Furio did exactly the right thing. And those things are a learning curve for whoever was in them. I saw the probably the last three minutes of the actual tag match, which was Matt really getting bumped around. And uh, Sean took the finish. I saw him take that. And I, to be honest with you, that's a ballsy move to take. So fair play to him because I, I wouldn't enjoy that. And I, even though I tr- would trust Cali implicitly, if I was going to let anyone fucking do that move on me, it would be Cali. If you could get my fat ass up there. And then I saw the deal with Andy and Samuel Wakefield. And just from me seeing that through the curtain, my advice to any of the guys who are in that particular situation is that the crowd, unless they know Andy personally, probably don't know that he's training to be a wrestler. They do now because I've just said it on the podcast. But the casual fans who don't listen to the podcast will probably not know that he's training at Biresa. They also know that Samuel Wakefield is a big fucking loudmouth manager or ref or whatever he wants to do on that day. But he's not a wrestler. And he's blatantly said him to the crowd that he's not a wrestler. He's this fucking smart guy on the outside. And the crowd hate him. So he's doing this, must be doing some good work. For that particular segment of the match, the only thing that's important really is the finish to show that even though Andy Stone is Sean Stone's son, his dad is still willing to fuck his own son over in preference of his manager. The only thing you need to get over in the finish. The match was short by design. I said, please don't go over three minutes because you'll be exposed. And they didn't, which was good. But there was a few things that, that I personally wouldn't have added in. Andy doesn't necessarily need to be running the spots because why would a referee know how to run the ropes? Why would he think like that? If things like just pushing Sam over and Sam punching him, Sam doesn't have to take bumps. He can just react. He can do realistic reactional selling. It doesn't matter if that sort of stuff looks a mess. If you start trying to put actual wrestling type logic into it, it doesn't work as it doesn't work as well. Do you know what I mean? Because it's meant to be two guys who aren't wrestlers fighting and if they start doing wrestling type things then it doesn't make sense but they can still make it work on a wrestling level and psychological level and they did but you just don't want to expose yourself in that area but i don't think they did in any major way from what i saw it turned out exactly as i wanted it that harem of booze were there samuel that i think especially mike work wise as well and to be fair to andy as well Andy Stone did a bit of mic work beforehand where when he got on the microphone, he sounded like a kid who had been bullied. Do you know what I mean? He actually sounded 
like a kid who was being bullied and he had that bit of wobble in his voice. Do you know what I mean? And it's almost, I'm fucking frightened of this situation, but I ain't taking this shit off you anymore type thing. And that, that was really good. I don't know if he meant to do that. I don't know if it was because he was genuinely nervous. I don't know what it was, but there was this sort of just this real fucking, I don't know. You felt real empathy and sympathy for him. I should imagine every kid who's ever been bullied, every adult that's ever been bullied, who was in that crowd there watching that situation was probably like, yeah, fucking go on, Andy. Because that's a really simple story to pull off. There's a fucking bully in there, a loud, obnoxious bully. And he knows that he stands a chance against against a young kid, but he's still willing to bully him, still willing to berate him in front of people because he thinks that this kid won't fight back. Well, actually, he's going to. On this particular occasion, his Christmas miracles can fucking happen. He's going to fight back and he's going to beat him, but he doesn't beat him. So therefore, it adds a little bit to that storyline, but at least he stood up to him. And then afterwards, I made sure I said to Robbie, this is where Andy's going to get his pop. I said, after he's been beaten and he's pissed off and upset and he's got his referee shirt back on, right? Fucking go up to him and please say to him, look, we've got some referees on standby backstage. You've just just gone through a bit of an ordeal here, buddy. Look, we'd understand. You've gone through a lot. You don't have to referee the rest of this show. And I want you to fucking, and I want him to say, no, I, this is my job. This is what I do. And I'm going to referee the rest of this show. So Sam's not going to take that away from me. I specifically said, say that, sort of, that say something along those lines. They did that. And that got Andy his heat back. So it's just little certain things you have to do to make that work. And to be honest with you, wrestling wasn't a part of that. And moving on to match two now, which I'm sure we will do just before we write this match. Wrestling wasn't too much of a part of match two either. But all that segment, so including tag match and Andy Stone and Sam Buddy Wakefield. So we'll count that as one match, one package, one segment, if you like. I'm going to give that five stars. In fact, I'm going to give it five Christmas crackers. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, just because it's Christmas, I'm in the I'm in the mood for giving. I'm going to give it five Little Santa hats, and the Santa hats have got crowns on them, so five Santa crowns. Yeah, something like that. (laughs) Oh, you're in the mood for love, Sean. Yeah, exactly. It's the giving mood. It's the seasonal spirit. We're heading up to Christmas, and I just feel like... It's the giving mood. Yeah. It's the giving mood. It's the receiving mood. It's the oral mood. It's the (laughs) 69er mood. It's the, yeah, it's it's the, uh, I'm trying to think of a uh, run out. It's like when someone asks you a joke, I've forgotten the joke. It's when someone asks you what sexual deviances, I've, I can't think of any. It's, it's annoying because the minute I come off this podcast later on, I'll think of loads of them. Yeah, and somebody like you, Jim, I thought you'd have loads in the bag, mate. It's I'm in the mood for fisting. <laughs> I'm in the mood. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Family show. In the mood for bukkake. <laughs> Moving in swiftly onwards, it's not going to get any better. We went into match number in two. Mood, I'm in the mood for scat. Oh, sorry, go, Carol. <laughs> this was match number two at the Christmas extravaganza at Falling Star Wrestling. We had loser eats dog food match for the DOA Pandemonium title. This was the bulk versus Big F and Joe. Big F and Joe, the champion. And, well, this contest starts with the pair locking horns and then a series of barking and 
sumo wrestling. Joe then hits the ropes trying to take down the bulk, but he runs into a brick wall. Then they go into a test of strength spot, but instead of one man overpowering the other, they just have a bit of a dance together. Bulk lands a standing clothesline, and then they just prance around a little bit. Then the classic wrestling moves get pulled out. The wedgie. Joe's undergarments get pulled right into his ass crack. Joe retreats into the corner and plays possum. This sordid <laughs> affair gets into kink territory with some nipple twisting, followed by a bit of ball sack twisting. Joe puts on the Santa hat. He runs the cannonball into the corner and then slips bulk into a schoolboy pin for the one, two, three. The bulk is now lost and now must face the consequences. He has to eat dog food. Big Joe grabs a, a, a massively oversized spoon, dips it into the dog food bowl. Reluctantly, Bulk is nervous at first. He has a little nibble and it looks like he's starting to enjoy the treat. Big Joe looks like he's about to vomit from the smell. And then Bulk turns around and says, that's not too bad, actually. Bulk offers Joe some to eat, but Joe refuses. Bulk licks the spoon clean without warning and with a mouthful of dog food still in his mouth. Bulk plants a big kiss on Big Joe, who takes a tumble to the canvas. As Joe is making his way back to his feet, the sound of E17 stay another day rings out in the Westland Sports and Social Club. And Big Joe plants a kiss back on the bowl and that's the end of that <laughs> ladies and gentlemen wrestling pro wrestling is a weird and wonderful entertainment sport and it comes in all shapes and sizes i was just about to say that's <laughs> wrestling when exactly you, when, when you can have a wrestling match on a wrestling show without wrestling that is <laughs> exactly. you, you know the business that's it you've got it in a second after you've given your uh summarization because i'm sorry i do not interrupt you i'm going to reveal a falling star wrestling secret fact about that match which only the fsw podcast listeners will be able to hear because obviously i ain't going to get out anywhere else so yeah it's absolute hot topic on everyone's lips and <laughs> i think you know what that probably that question is going to be but i will answer it in a second but go on what did you think of this extravaganza well, it's, we were saying there, wrestling is a weird, wonderful entertainment sport. It comes in all shapes and sizes. And this match certainly was different. I can't really say much about the in-ring action. I mean, it was awful and there was never really going to be about wrestling, was it? It was all building up to that dog food moment, which was pretty funny and certainly evoked some emotion from the crowd, whether that be laughter, disgust or disinterest. It certainly was a thing to behold. And ah, well, I guess it would seem that a Christmas miracle happened here on Saturday night. That miracle being that this match was over and the crowd didn't have to think about it or watch it any longer. Jimmy, what's your big reveal for this match? I'll let you know what I think first. So I slightly disagree with you with this match. You've got this, like we said, this is a Christmas bash show. So you need to make every everyone think that anything is possible. And a big grown man, legend in the British wrestling industry, <laughs> and one of international hardcore legend wrestling superstar and icon. And when they come to Falling Star Wrestling... I don't bother with any of that shit. They just have a dance and eat some dog food. I disagree with you, Sean. I think you're putting too much of your own match-based preferences in there. I think the crowd actually thoroughly enjoyed it. And when watching it back on a mobile phone doesn't do it justice, obviously. I had a bit of a look at what was going on outside and backstage. I was so pleased. I think I remember saying to you guys, fuck, we didn't, can't be any worse than this. You know I mean, I can't, I'm actually can't be any worse than this technically. So we don't have to worry. 
Like it took a lot of pressure off our shoulders <laughs> in the sense that we we don't and I don't mean if Bolt and Baz, if you get upset about this comment in terms of me ripping your shreds in terms of the wrestling, I know you didn't go out there to wrestle and eat some dog food, but when I actually saw how little wrestling and what you were doing and how it was getting over, I thought fell off. This is fucking brilliant. Do you know what I mean? Carry on. They just eat as much fucking dog food as you want. You know what I mean? Stay, <laughs> stay out there all night. It means that if this is getting over, we've got nothing to worry about. So I thoroughly enjoyed it. But the weight it took off my shoulders and just the stupidity of it. it. Yeah, it was stupid. It was daft. But it was funny. And the crowd got that sort of sick. They want to see him eat dog food. But then the dog food fucking stinks. And it looks horrible. And the people can smell it. And it's just fun. It's just fun. But the big reveal, which even Bulk said, Kay favorite from the boys, but I think he probably just meant for the show. But that wasn't actually dog food in that tin, <gasps> ladies and gentlemen. What? It was, I know, it was cold beef stew. Bulk sneakily took the wrapper off a of pedigree chum tin and wrapped it around some beef stew. Having said that, though, I don't know what is actually worse, cold beef stew or pedigree chum. Yeah, I, in fact, I would assume it's probably the same thing, more or less. So I don't really know if Bolt got away with it in that sense. I know Baz definitely didn't like the fucking taste of it when he came back. He was like, that shit's fucking horrible. I really didn't like it, man. It was making me sick. So I don't even know if he kayfabe from Baz, actually, because Baz might have thought it was actually dog food because he didn't. He, the only person I'm aware that he was told was me. So I think Baz genuinely thought that he had dog food all over his fucking mouth. So that was fun. Unless he told Baz as well, I don't know. No, Mike, he wouldn't have told Baz because he would have known that would have distressed Baz, the fact that he had to lick around Mike's mouth with dog food stuck in his beard. But yeah, it was, obviously, it was what it was. Festive cheer, silliness, and it's the DOA pandemonium title. Why the fuck would I, on a Falling Star SN show, want to showcase a title on another promotion in a good light? Fucking so, <laughs> so let's put dog food on each other's balls and lap it up, boys, because that's the only way you're ever going to get your fucking title on my show. And uh, of course, I'm joking. I, uh, that was a joke. Other promotions might get a little bit more respect on that front. And that's an example of something that would be on a Christmas show and would be on anything else. Just a bit of fun. I'll tell you what, when Bulk and Joe both came back after that match and poor Andy Stone had to clear up whatever mess was left in the ring, I came back with a bit of tissue and it had what I, I was led to believe was dog food and it looked like dog food. It smelled terrible. So I don't know what kind of beef stew that was. Do you think it was a can from like the 1980s and it started to congeal and <laughs> had sort of mould sitting on it? I think actually Bulk would have probably been better off actually eating real dog food because that smelled yeah, awful I and I could just see it when we were getting ready to go out and I was just like, I'm going to vomit. This is awful. And it was beef stew as well. well. It's just that it's just that cold shit beef stew that you get in a tin that you buy for 15p around Lidl's. You know what I mean? not prime cut meat in there. It is more or less just <laughs> cold. It's going to be fucking vile. Warm it up a bit. It might be tolerable. I don't know. But cold, any tin meat is horrible cold. So it, I doubt it was <laughs> I doubt it was a culinary delight. Let's put it that way. But still, for the fact that Mike my, my ate cold beef stew, him and Baz had a dance, and embraced falling star wrestling's 
fun side and Christmas spirit, I'll give that five cans of food. <laughs> I'll give it five twists of the nipples. <laughs> I'll give it five five caresses of each bollock. <laughs> I'll give it 17 for East 17 stay another day. Yes, yes, most definitely. Yeah, yeah, that was a, always a classic song. And again, the crowd liked it because they were singing. Everyone was singing at the end. Brilliant. That's what you want. You want people singing. I've always said that, especially at a wrestling show. And it was done. It was what it was. That was match number two. We had to follow that up because match number three was the Falling Star Wrestling Tag Team title Christmas Bash Mash. Christmas Bash Match. Bash the Mash. <laughs> the Bash Mash. The, the Disaster Eyes. <laughs> it, it, it's caught me off my game here thinking about it again it was just it was horrible the, ma- the match was to go with the beast stew yeah. yeah, that's what it was I'm surprised we didn't go and then slip on what was left in the ring anyway this was the Falling Star Wrestling tag team title Christmas Bash Match the Disaster Riders versus Tommy Lawrence and Ollie Cole versus The Sound the current Falling Star Wrestling tag team champions now TDA we come down to the ring first Jimmy cuts off the Christmas tunes and begins to get some crowd participation going Jim you try and introduce a new little thing for the audience to go along with you make your arms do a T shape and then ask the audience to chant T and and then you asked me to do the D. Now, at this point, you didn't really get why people were laughing at you because I think you were so wrapped up in trying to get everyone to do sort of your version of the YMCA, except with TDA. You didn't actually realise that I may have pointed to something that could also be considered a D. Again, family show. We won't go into it too much. But like you had to look at me. You were like, why are people laughing? I was like, Jim, you just asked people. You just asked me to give them the D. And I was like. Okay. Do you remember oh, that right. bit in the ring? Yeah. Uh, yeah, you just said I pointed on my dick. And I, was, I was like, oh, sweet. That's good. Like, uh, I, I, if I, if, if, it, honestly, it'd been much better if you'd have told me that. We would have got a better laugh. I could have fucking really milked that. And like, every time I said D, you just keep pointing at your dick. And I'm like, no, do the do a D. And then you point at your dick again. And it would have just, we could have got a bit out of that. But that was an impromptu dick point. It was. And uh, I wasn't aware that it was going on because I was, you were behind me. But you um, but started yeah, talking yeah, about I, the D and Robbie Reed starts looking at me as if to be like, is this part of it? And I was like, Jimmy hasn't clued me in on, on what's going on here. I'm just reacting to what he's saying. And he's saying, PVC, give me the D. And I'm like, okay, the, the, do you want me to? And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa yeah. don't do anything like that. And then, of course, eventually yeah. we all get there. You do the T. I somehow make a D with my hands. And then we get the crowd to go, hey, and put their hands up in a pointed way. And then you said... I don't think it worked perfectly, but it might take a few shows to catch on. And <laughs> I think you're right. It's one of those things I, where... I, I, I personally think I'm going to fucking... I, what, two things I think about that. I think you try to fucking sabotage it. <laughs> um, Never. <laughs> and I think, I, I think that because you said it wouldn't get over and I said it would. And you wanted to prove yourself right. So you just sit there doing your crude dick jokes <laughs> um, and sabotaging my bit. And then my wonderful thing that was going to say, us into the stratosphere, not just me, not just about me, it's about you as well. And you point your, and you're fucking up by pointing your dick. So you ruin that. <laughs> and then, yeah, it, it, it is something that's going to, that's going to take a while, but I'm going to spend the next fucking hundred years if I have to getting that over. If people don't start doing the fucking, I'll find them. I'll, I'll, <laughs> next time. I'll, I can, I'll physically force them to go over to Joe and give them a fiver. 
give her a fiver because <laughs> that's just a brilliant piece of crowd participation. And in future, actually, I'm going to change our music. I'm going to scrap Andrew WK and we're going to record our own version of the YMCA <laughs> and just call it the TDA. And because YMCA is obviously one more letter than we've got, we're going to have to have, add a word that sounds like a letter, hey, so TDA, hey, so we fix the YMCA beat. But we will record our own fucking music if that's what it takes to get this over. <laughs> okay. There's no such thing as something that I say you're not getting over. It doesn't exist. <laughs> it's going to work. But don't worry, I'm not bottom lipping it. But no. I am blaming you solely for its failure that night. I, I have to admit, I didn't realise what was going on. I was just reacting. That's what we do in wrestling. We act and react to that thing. You said, give him the D. And then you said, I've got to do a D. And I didn't, like, the T, you literally put one hand vertically, one hand horizontally, one arm at least. And it looks like a big T. And then you're like, do a D. And I'm like, doing it with my fingers. It looked like a P. Somebody was like, hey, you're doing a P. And I was like, I turned it around. They were like, no, you're doing a B. I was like, I don't know well, how to do it. I didn't say, knowing you that night with your crew references, when I said, oh, you're doing a P, I'm surprised you didn't your Johnson out and piss all over the canvas. I'm now doing it, and then shout, I'm now doing a P now, you cunt. <laughs> I just right for this to work. I just feel like I need some creative input here. I just need to know how to do a D without all the crude references here. How do I do a D that's a big D? And I know we're going to talk about Tommy Lawrence here in a bit, but like, how do I do a big D that people can? How can I show people the big D? How? Well, the, 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 how do you show people the big D? I, I, I well, because you got a big T know. and they I do mean, a big A, and I just do a little D. It's very demeaning to me, Jim. It, 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 if well you can it, i'll tell you what you do you do the t in future i don't okay. mind you doing the t and uh, i can work out how to i can work out how to do a big d i'll in fact <laughs> i'll do a double d if necessary i'll just get a, i'll just get some fucking i don't know some big old brass to stand up and, and flush your tits she can be the d and then we'll get an A, or I'll flash my T's because they have some kind of kind of D now. I think. Or I don't know. <laughs> there's some way of doing this. Some yoga class we could take where we can just bend our bodies into a D. I don't know, but we I'll work out how to do a big D. Or what we might be able to do in future is I can do the T with my hands. And what about because you you're right? Okay, there we go. I've got an idea. I've fucking solved it instantly. Right. The crowd do the A. We got that. That's simple. I do the T. That's fine. That's big. You're an artist, right? So why don't we get a nice big board for you or big bit of fucking cardboard or canvas or whatever we can find you and you can bring the D down to the ring and just flash it up in the air so you've got a big artistic <laughs> D that you've drawn. So flash my the, big D to the crowd. The, that's your big D to the crowd because you can't, you're not satisfied in just doing a little one with your hands. So your big D... <laughs> is one that you've prepared earlier. <laughs> Just don't forget the big D. I'll bring the D. Every time you come to the match, bring the D. <laughs> Always I'll, bring the D. I'll work on it. Just don't flash yeah. people your A. We don't want to see that. <laughs> no, I'm not, no, I'll try not to, no. Okay, so the match finally gets underway. I'll try not to put your D. Uh, I'll try not to put my D uh, in your A. Because <laughs> that could be very messy, Jimmy. My mum's listening. <laughs> right, seriousness. We've got a serious, award-winning podcast to to do now. The match finally gets underway, 
And TDA, with the help of Tommy and Ollie, go directly for the sound and pound them into the ground. Chaos then ensues when the presents are laid out under the tree. Well, a ladder. They're opened and used to batter the sound around ringside. There's a wet floor sign, a steel chair, a baking tray, alongside some very long, thin weapons, which are still wrapped in wrapping paper, yet to be opened. That was until Tommy Lawrence unsheathed his long present, and that was a walking stick. I know where your mind's going there. <laughs> Which him and I proceeded to put between the legs of Bobby Adams and bounce him up and down oh, repeatedly. Oh, shit. I think that might have been the favourite part of my magic. <laughs> Fucking hell. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I wasn't involved in that spot. <laughs> It's not like I did it on purpose. <laughs> I totally did. <laughs> oh, fuck. Unsheathed his long present. He told me as well. Fucking Jesus Christ. That'll take some unsheathing. There's a lot of wrapping paper. That is, yeah. Uh, fucking, you'd use a whole roll on that bastard. In the ring, Jimmy sets up a steel chair and works on Ollie Cole. Jimmy then takes the head of young Master Cole and drives it directly into the steel chair. This looked pretty brutal, actually, and I think Ollie took the move pretty well. The party is soon disrupted when Rashwood finds a ladder underneath the ring and charges at Jimmy with it. Then comes Rashwood's teammate, Adams, to help out too. The ladder is stood up in the corner and Jimmy is rushed into it. Jimmy, you hit quite low on the ladder. It looked like it hurt nonetheless, but we were chatting before the podcast and you said that was an okay bump, right? Yeah, I just thought I'd try a different bump into the ladder. I actually thought it might cause the ladder to fall on top of me, which you hit it low, it will fall on top of you. But that ladder is made out of something that some material that isn't found on this fucking earth. It's hard. It's hard as a bastard. When you're doing a match of this kind, if you get sent into, if I, if you tell me I get sent into the ladder and it looks brutal, that's good, right? If you say it looks shit, then that would be a different question. But if you say it looks brutal, that's fine. And it didn't hurt more than doing it the other way. So either I got away with it, I was lucky, or it was just, a, yeah, I had a bit of a calculated risk, really. But it was intentional to, for me to go in the ladder that way, you know. Yeah, it looked pretty cool. And then the sound getting control. Rashwood brings a chair outside. I grab an empty box and throw it at Rashwood. And then guess who wins in that transaction? Yep, I get a steel chair to my head. The same wet floor sign I used on Adams earlier is now being welted across my back. So I grab a guitar to help even things out. But Bobby Adams hits me with the cane and sets me straight. Having evaded the attack from Adams, I grab a present that has Ollie's name on it. So I call him into the ring and give it to him. He looks nervous and rightly so. But he opens this gift and inside is a brand new top of the line PVC t-shirt. He grabs it, he puts it on and then I grab him to whip him into the ropes. He holds on, I charge at him and boom, I'm dropped onto the second rope and laid prone for the 619 and that's exactly what went down. Ollie then auctions off the t-shirt to the highest bidder. Not sure who ended up with it but if you're listening right now and you got a PVC t-shirt, Merry Christmas. Ollie then tries to end it all by hitting me with a cutter but I'm one step ahead of him as I see my tag team partner coming into the ring so I push Ollie into Jimmy, who shows Ollie how to really hit the star KO1. Two, the pin is interrupted by Ollie's tag team partner, Tommy. Tommy grabs the chair, hands it to Jimmy, but then kicks it directly into Jimmy's head. And then Jim is nailed by the running knee by George Rash with the sound. Then work over Tommy Lawrence, snapmare, kick to the back, kick to the front, and then a running senton backsplash with the chair on Tommy's chest by Rashwood. Rashwood then turns around into a Claymore and then... 
I try and capture those titles for the first time, but it wasn't meant to be. Rashwood kicks out at two, so I decide that I'm still in the Christmas spirit and grab a couple of pre-spray painted boards, one of which says, to the sound, Merry Xmas, love TDA, and on the other board it has a red bullseye target with the words, greasy toss pot and an arrow pointing to the bullseye. These are set up in the corners. For now, I grab the greasy hair of Rashwood and ask the audience which board they want me to throw him into naturally. They choose the one with the bullseye and the greasy toss pot, so I whip him into it. He reverses, but I manage to stop just in time. And then as Rashwood is chasing towards me, I lift him up onto my shoulders and proceed to Death Valley Driver him right through the board in the corner. I then drag and pull his carcass out from the wreckage and try to take home the gold, but the numbers game of the sound catches up as Brody Knox comes out to help and the pin is broken up. I decide to set my sights on Bobby Adams as there's still another board going free. The same thing happens. I put Adams up onto my shoulders, but this time he slips down my back and I'm boom, speared directly through the table in the corner. And that's me done for the rest of the match. On the outside, Ollie is unwrapping a present of his own. There's another guitar shaped present. And weirdly enough, it was another guitar. So Ollie rolls into the ring and bashes Rashwood in the gut and then across the back Bosh, but he then has to have eyes in the back of his head as Adams is there to hit him with the backstabber. Adams grasps Cole in a modified camel clutch. Tommy's trying to get into the ring. He's scraping, he's grasping to get into the ring, but Rashwood is holding him back. Adams then wrenches on Cole's neck with the walking stick and poor Ollie Cole passes out and the sound are still your falling star wrestling tag team champions. Just when we thought it was all over and we could go back and ice our wounds and live to fight another day Tommy begins to attack Ollie Cole in the ring. We have no idea why, but it seems that Tommy has snapped and is taking his frustration out on Ollie Cole. Poor Ollie is getting absolutely decimated. Referee Andy Stone tries to intervene and even Commissioner Robbie Reed tries, but nothing is going to stop Tommy from brutalizing Ollie Cole. Tommy slams Ollie down with a falcon arrow with prejudice and vengeance. Tommy has turned his back on Ollie and also his back on the Falling Star Wrestling faithful that have followed him from day won and supported him win lose or draw but I guess that wasn't enough for Tommy Lawrence and he just snapped and there's a lot to digest in this match there was so much craziness so much chaos and there was also a heel turn to cap things off but I guess where do we start it's it was one of those matches that was sort of designed to be fun but also a little bit wild and I think we achieved that in spades whether you were looking at it as something being hit or somebody being slammed onto something or somebody being put through something I just hope that translated into a fun match for the crowd to watch they seemed to be interested in it they were cheering along they were ooing and ahhing for all the big shots and stuff was it a textbook perfectly worked match not really it was sloppy in places there were spots that were missed as well but I don't think that was detrimental to the match that people watch because they wouldn't have known that the spots were missed or whatever. It wasn't as if there was a, a massive gap between spots or anything like that. There was another successful title defense for the sound. They're actually proving that they don't mind getting their hands dirty and they're not actually too fussed in putting their belts on the line. So it pains me to say kudos to them. The obvious shock was Tommy's turn. I don't think people saw that coming and they're going to see another side of Tommy Lawrence going forward. There was a lot to take in. Was it too much? I don't know. We alluded to that earlier on, but we certainly achieved a lot in that 30 minute segment, which brought us into the interval and a little bit of time to clean up the debris from the Christmas bash match. Uh, Jimmy, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, mate. Yeah, well, I suppose what you saw was what you got and it was... It's, called the Christmas Bash match last year. 
we did a similar thing and next year we'll probably do a similar thing. I'd like to make it a tradition. And even if somewhere down the line, the TDA split up, it'd be a nice thing to think of that we even in far down the lines in our careers, even when we decided to call it a day, just for once a year, we can always reunite for that Christmas bash match because that's the TDA's challenge. And that's why I wanted to be us to be involved in it and match to, to obviously have certain the similar elements to what I had last year. I don't think it was necessarily better than last year's Christmas bash match. I think because I think the, the simple tag team formula works better for, for a story within the match. But having said that, Chaos-wise, I think this one had more to it, more people going through tables, more people getting hit with things, more moves, more whatever you're looking for, it was there. So I think it was delivered on on that sort of PG hardcore front. It reminded me very much of old late 90s WCW hardcore matches where people were just hitting each other with stuff and there wasn't a great deal of rhyme or reason to any of it. And I think that was why really we needed the, the there's method in my madness to having Tommy turned heel and basically my my method in my thinking is that Tommy and Jack look very similar and they wrestle very similar and they're both superb there's no point in having two Jack Glanders and there's no point in having two Tommy Lawrences and I think that the babyface character suits Jack's gimmick more than it does Tommy because it just means Tommy's a sort of normal white meat baby face for all you wrestling terminologists out there and fanatics just means he's going to end up being generic and there's going to be no real heels for him to fight. So he's just going to keep having baby face matches. And I want more for Tommy in Falling Star Wrestling because he's a superb talent. I don't want him to feel that his time in Falling Star Wrestling is wasted. So as a bad guy, there's so many more people you can face. There's so many more people he can feud with and it can bring out what I think is, to me, Tommy's weakest aspect, but we're talking his weakest aspect in pretty much a a fucking A-star game all around, but is his character. It's just big showing out, purely nasty bastard. And I don't know what kind of heel he will turn out to be, but it will be a different kind of heel to what we got, A, because we haven't got that many kind of heels, and B, we haven't got that really athletic, flippy kind of heel who can do really cool stuff, but also back it up with viciousness and brutality too. Jaden Scar's a different kind of heel, even though he's very agile and athletic and intense. You're still you're not probably not going to see a springboard moonsault from him, but you might from Tommy Lawrence. So that really athletic heel... And there's going to be a theme for a couple of months in the new year as well. I want Falling Star Wrestling to have more defined heels and defined baby faces for when we spread out into these bigger shows and bigger halls for the casual fans that come along. So that they're not just sitting there watching two people wrestle and then they can pick their favorite character. There's defined good guys and bad guys for a lot of our matches, which we've been finding it hard to put together in the past few shows because if we're down a, a heel or two then the show's fucked well it's obvious fsw needs more heels tommy lawrence is a wrestler who's just was swimming around in the baby face waters of fsw let's turn him into a heel and i know he'll be a good heel and i know he'll get more opportunities in falling star wrestling that way so that's the idea of turning him into a bad guy and obviously the match was good in terms of its chaos and 
it's all a bit of silliness and fucking just brawling and brutality and whatever you wanted it to be. It fit that Christmas bash thing with the presents and all that kind of shit. And I, I thought the match was good. Obviously, the Sound retained their titles and they're over as a really good heel tag team. So the crowd really do not like them. Their work is very good. Some of the crowd obviously enjoy their work, so they buy their stuff and whatnot. But in general, they are filling that heel tag team championship role very well, just like the NLP did when they were the tag team champions. You know, I'm pleased with what they're doing. I'm pleased with the turn. Obviously, of course, time will tell whether it was the right thing to do. I hope it was. I hope my instinct told me correctly. It was something that was very last minute and very impulsive on my part to turn uh, Tommy Lawrence into a bad guy. Let's see what happens. I hope it helps his character and I hope it helps his character depth. And I hope that people want to see a heel Tommy Lawrence. And I know that they like the babyface Tommy Lawrence. Of course they did. But for me, just too similar wrestler to someone that we've already got. And the aim of that, little segment of ours was to have a laugh cause chaos but the main point was to turn Tommy into a bad guy and that's why Ollie was in the match and that's why that tag team was in the match and everyone did their job really well I thought I was really pleased I was really pleased with everyone and how everyone worked and how did you feel about it being in it and watching it back and knowing that a majority of the match we say half forgot and didn't really know what the fuck was going on after a while it was one of those matches where you could, you probably could have forgotten most of the match, really. If you nail the finish right, which we did, and we nailed the start, we just wanted to go out there and just cause chaos for the first sort of couple of minutes and just bash each other with Christmas bash weapons, which we did. We had the element of opening up the presents and doing the little different bits and bobs there. I liked the little spot that I did with Ollie. I thought that was good to bring the crowd back into it because there was a lot of sort of chaos at the beginning. They don't know where to look. They didn't know what to react to. It was just us hitting each other with wet floor signs and guitars and steel chairs and canes and all this sort of stuff and I'm sure they were enjoying it but there was no real focus until you did the spot with Ollie and the, the face buster on the chair and the stuff inside the ring and then the match got brought down with the present and then he put the t-shirt on and then we picked things up back up again I think it gave them a little bit of a respite from just smash smash crash bang wallop it was like oh we're gonna introduce a bit of character a bit of fun a little bit of festivities in it and it was a nice little thing to do there and then we went back into the chaos again the introduction of the boards i think that helped raise the level of destruction as well and i hope that they did the right thing rather than just doing it for chaos sake because a couple of months prior we did have a tlc match so this was almost a sort of a festive tlc match because we had the boards which were acting as tables we had the ladder in there as well we had the steel chair that was quite heavily focused as well but i just hope that people don't didn't think that we were trying to recreate tlc again but in the westland sports and social club we just wanted to have a good fun festive christmas bash match and when you look at it like that i think that's what we did and another thing is like we all came out of that match without any scuffs without any scrapes without any particular injuries or anything like that i think i bruised underneath my arm when i got speared through the table at one part i think i got a little welt across my back from one of the shots from a wet floor sign but it's one of those things where you know exactly what you're going to get into when you go into the match you're going to come out with a few scrapes and a few bruises and a few cuts and things like that but there was no twisted limbs there was no broken bones there was no blood there was no injuries that are going to hamper us heading into 2022 so i would consider that pretty much a success right yeah definitely yeah and I, actually I, I said something earlier on in the podcast which 
I remember I was going to point out about our match and about calling and like calling in the ring and stuff like that and no one noticing and no one noticing what you're saying and whatnot. And there was a bit in the match where basically we just got lost and it wasn't the end of the world. We found a place to start from again and then we just cracked on. But we got lost and no one was in the ring. And I was, it was actually two two bits really where it was blatant, obvious calling and it was both by me. And I just fucking sent someone into the post, I think, or I just hit him with something and I turned round and George Rashwood had you, you can see it on the tape, the phone catches it, but the crowd doesn't. You can even hear me say it on the tape, I think. And I turn around and George Rashwood is doing something to you, right? He's beating you up. So I fucking grab something. As a, and as I'm grabbing something from under the ring, because I can't just stand there and watch my tag team partner be beaten up. Do you know what I mean? I need to go in and at least try and do something. And I said to Rashwood, fucking either as I was picking something up, I said, if you're going for a spot or you're about to do something, cut me off. And I said it really loud. And then he punched me in the face, right? Rashwood did. He hit me in the face, which was fine. I thought, oh, okay, cool. You're going into a spot. I don't know what happened from then on in. And then there was another part in the match where I couldn't find the fucking baubles because initially <laughs> yeah. we were going to the And I was looking under the tree for these bastard baubles and I couldn't find them. And they were, I'd look in a bit higher and I said to you, where the fuck are the baubles? In the end, like, I had to physically get you during your spot with Ollie. To yeah, at one point I was laid on the ropes ready to get 619 yeah. and you can see it in the tape. Yeah. I watched it. <laughs> he was asking yeah. me where yeah. the baubles are where I'm about to get 619. But obviously yeah. the, the crowd's <laughs> focus are on Ollie. He's Ging them up for the 619. Yeah. And it's just me, you just chat and I'm like, oh, they're over there, mate. And they're yeah. in that box. And you're like, yeah, oh, cool. yeah you even pointed. <laughs> yeah, and like, Dude, <laughs> yeah. And then I fucking rolled them in. You set them up. <laughs> and then Ollie got up and kicked them all out the fucking way. <laughs> I was like, I've been looking for those for fucking... <laughs> Since two seconds into the match to fucking do this to set up for this spot. This has taken 15 minutes of hard work and fucking locating these fucking balls. It's nearly giving me a nervous breakdown trying to find them. Eventually I find them and think, yay, the spot is saved. It's been someone's going to get hit fucking slammed on the baubles. And fucking, no, Ollie, this is excitement and inexperience for you. And this is why we put in experience in people with experienced people, just to calm them down a bit. When you got things like that going on, he was just happy to be there. Didn't know what probably what was coming up next. Needed a bit of reminding. I think he'd forgotten. The, he had the, forgotten because uh, again, yeah. talking about calling, I was laid on the floor because he'd just six one nine me. But then you passed the baubles to me, and I just thought, oh, maybe I can just sneakily put them out, and then went back to selling again. I was like, Ollie Cutter, Ollie, Ollie Cutter, Ollie Cutter. Ollie, yeah. <laughs> Ollie, cutter. And then he goes, oh yeah. Goes for the cutter on me and I'll push him into you. Yeah. You hit him with the cutter and he says, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the, well, after he said, oh yeah, he kicked all those fucking baubles out of the <laughs> did, yeah. And uh, yeah, so oh, my bastard. It was a lovely cutter. A nice picture of it as well. So just shit like that. Now, I, the crowd just don't notice. And just if any of any trainees who listen to this who aren't involved in, in, in Falling Star Wrestling, you know, you're a trainee anywhere in the fucking, in, in the, well, in the world, because we're an international trending podcast who listen to our podcast. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. And BBC will back me up. Calling stuff doesn't need to be 
seeker squirrel there are like little tricks wrestlers do like calling when they're sending in or calling from the corner or calling whilst they're fucking being picked up or they've been stabbed and they're in chin locks and shit like that but you can just fucking talk to each other out there and especially if you're a tag team do you know what i mean i might ask you in that kind of match because it's a stupid fucking christmas match because you don't know you're about to get 619. You're just lying there going, oh, fuck. <laughs> I might ask you where the ball balls are because you fucking wrapped them up and put them out there. So it's not psychology. I ain't going to ruin it. And even if fucking the crowd just don't know or understand the terminologies and they're not looking for that. But if you're putting together a good enough match with enough bits and bobs going on and enough distractions and you're a half-decent worker and you know how to sort of half-protect your goals, the crowd really aren't going to notice and the volume is never the problem. It's the look of confusion. That's a problem. It's a standing there. What the fuck do I do next? Headlock where no, everyone's stopped stopping working and selling. That's when the crowd know that there's a problem and there's a breaking stuff. Cause you're taking them out of that sort of world that you've put them in resting. It's like hypnosis in a way they get put in this sort of transient state where they're watching resting. They've suspended their disbelief and the way that you're going to break it out of them isn't by them hearing you call something or whatever. It's by fucking like stopping and breaking that hypnotic state that they're in whilst they're watching it. Because by that point, they're so fucking into it. They just don't hear. People hear what they want to hear. And they don't fucking hear that shit. They just don't. It's the, what, when you really need to protect your calls is when you're on camera, when someone's got a camera in your fucking face. Well, no one had a camera in our face. And even if they did, it wouldn't matter because we're not being filmed for TV. We're in a live show, live show environment. People just don't hear it in that environment. Unless you shout it, they don't really hear it. And even if you do shout it, they don't fucking sometimes hear it. So don't worry, you know, about that's And that's what I mean. Like the, I didn't protect my calls that night. No one noticed. No one protected their calls that night. I don't think no one noticed. And it made no difference to the match whatsoever. But yeah, fun match. And again, gave us a story to carry on through to next year so i give that match five ladders i would give that match five unbroken baubles yeah yeah f- <laughs> five yeah five randomly strewn about baubles that ollie kicked out the fucking one i think i might have landed on one and he landed on none <laughs> he got you it's a smart he? move actually for him not for me <laughs> it's a very clever move for him so all of the guys at ringside managed to clear up all the baubles, smashed or unsmashed. Then we went into the interval. Then we came back for match number four. This was a gauntlet challenge match. We start with two superstars in the ring and then one one gets eliminated. Another one will enter until the last man or woman is left standing in the ring. The first man to come to the ring is Robbie Lewis. And then making a surprise visit to Falling Star Wrestling is the creature from the swamp, Crowley. We thought the NLP were done for the year, but it turns out that Crowley was missing throwing some other wrestlers around in the ring and decided to make a special appearance to see if he can run the gauntlet. Robbie attempts to soothe the beast by offering him some Christmas chocolates, which Crowley obliges and starts to make his way through the whole box. And while his back is turned, Robbie tries for the cheeky pin and a schoolboy, but is only able to get the two count whilst venting his frustration. Robbie slaps the mat, but he's taken his eye off the prize and forgotten about Crowley's knee, which hits Robbie square in the face and instantly 
knocks him out. Robbie is eliminated. Next up is Alex Miller. Miller comes down with a rapid pace, ducks a few shots and actually manages to stun the beast with a swinging head scissor and a drop kick which sends Crowley to the corner. Miller then tries to nail the DDT but Crowley throws him away and then hits a giant spine buster on Miller and that's all she wrote for Alex Miller. Next up is Danny Fear. Danny hops into the ring and signals to his crotch for something deep within his tights. It turns out to be a stashed mobile phone down there. Danny wants a selfie with the Swamp Beast and it looks as if Crowley is actually going to give it to Danny. But that's not exactly what happened. Before Danny could fire off the selfie, Crowley picks up Fear and splatters him into the canvas with a huge deep six spinning back suplex. Sadly, that's all from Danny Fear. Next is Nix. Nix kicks and kicks, but it's not enough to stun the Beast who grabs Nix and spins around and delivers a humongous black hole slam. And that's it for Nix. The final combatant in the gauntlet is none other than the sassy bear Clarence. Clarence comes in and lights up Crowley punch after punch, which is punctuated by the bionic elbow and this is the first time that Crowley has looked stunned in this match. Clarence is sent into the corner and returns with a springboard back elbow. Sassy follows with another pin attempt and then uses his money maker to try and give Crowley a brown eye. From out of nowhere Sean Stone and Samuel Wakefield come out to have a look. This distracts Crowley and Sassy springboards off the middle and floats over into the sunset's flip for the three count and Clarence is the winner of the gauntlet match and I thought this was the right result and the right result went down on this night but it was great to see Crowley back in the ring again I know he's only been gone for about three or four shows but I've missed him seeing him destroy people I missed that destruction I'm not sure and I don't quite get the whole Sean Stone Samuel Wakefield distraction that kind of seemed random to me but I do guess it's going to lead somewhere else down the line. Stone pointed at Commissioner Robbie Reed when he came out, so I guess there's some beef going down there too, and I guess Crowley can't be happy with the result either, so we'll just have to wait to see what unfolds in the new year. I was... I think I was sceptical about the gauntlet match initially, but I think it really worked. I'm sure all of the Academy guys that were sacrificed would maybe disagree, but they were part of something that actually worked and got to feature their characters more than anything, especially Danny Fear. He got his character over really well. But what more can you say about the action, though? This... The move that Crowley did on everyone looked really good and I'm glad that I wasn't the one taking those moves because I have in the past and I know for a fact that Deep Six, that Spine Buster and that Black Hole Slam hurt like a mother effer. Jimmy, what do you reckon to this corner match, mate? Yeah, I mean, again, if you're going to put something on, then there needs to be a point to it. And I can't give too much away from the ending. And if it confused people or made people think, why did they come out? Then it was meant to. But it was also meant to give Crowley a little bit of an out as well because that was primarily the reason why he lost because he took his after prize. So it gives Crowley a bit of an out and protects his character. But what else could we have? If Crowley's coming back, he's going to destroy people. It's a gauntlet match. You're right. It was a chance to get everyone on the show, progress a little bit of a potential storyline that's going on, pop to see Crowley back, and also a nice win for Sassy as well. And Sassy is someone, again, that I want to give more wins and more opportunities to. And that's something that we'll see what 2023 brings. I mean, not everyone can win all the time. And for any of the guys who felt that they were sacrificed, that wasn't the point. The point was to get you on the show. And if you do feel like you came down there, got sacrificed and went back, which I don't, I didn't hear of anyone who did. No one said that to me. But if they feel like they, they were, then they're... There's opportunity there. The second you walk out from behind that curtain, 
to the second you take that move, even if that's 30 seconds, that's 30 seconds you can get your character over. And it's not like you're getting beaten by a fucking Hammenegger. It's fucking Crowley. Do you know what I mean? He, like, he was one half of the tag team champions for a year. There's no shame in falling into his traps and his moves and stuff like that. I was just impressed at how many moves Crowley had, really, that he could beat people with. And uh, that was a smart thing to do. The show was running long. The first half went well over an hour with the interval as well. It was just, a, it was just, it was me just trying to give back a bit and just to get everyone on a show and get everyone involved in some way, shape or form. I know the rumble was there as well, but again, it's just nice to get the guys out there, but also just further a potential story. You're sitting there going, I don't quite get why fucking Sam and Sean came out. Well, at this particular moment, you don't have to get it. It's meant to confuse and to titillate and, there we go. I was pleased that Sassy won. I actually thought this was a really well put together little gauntlet. And the reason it was well put together is because it was simple. Instead of having fucking six or five mini matches, just fucking use it as an opportunity to get yourself over. And the trait and the guys who were new and still in the FSW Academy still training, just give you an a, a, a example, get your face shown and try and work on your character a little bit more. But I think everyone did really well and I was really pleased with it until you said, I didn't really think of the fact that they might think that they were just cannon fodder for, for Crowley because that's not really what it was about. I was just trying to get them involved. And it was an un, it was an unnecessary match that I didn't need to put on that show. But I did to get everyone involved. And I'm not saying give Jimmy Starr a round of applause for being so fucking generous. It didn't need to be on a show. But it was nice to get everyone out there, get their faces shown, give them a little tiny bit of ring time, but also, more importantly, crowd interaction. Fucking take a bump and go back. Good, easy night's work. And then there was a rumble a bit later that they could all get involved in as well. So, yeah, just a little bit more exposure for everyone. Yeah, I think it worked because it was well booked as well. You had Robbie Lewis go out there and then he's gone up against Crowley multiple times. Crowley always coming out on top. And then you've got the experience in there and you've got the character that's going to be able to glue this whole thing together because if it was overbooked and overcomplicated, if you'd have Robbie Lewis come out and he goes up against Alex Miller and then he beats Alex Miller and then Danny Fear comes out and beats Alex Miller and you've got this back and forth and then you've got too many inexperienced people in there with other inexperienced people. You just had Crowley in there who's got bags and tons of experience. He can work a match just like that. He knows his character in and out and he can just guide these guys through. And again, he was guiding them through very short little segments, but he did it with such emphasis and such clean, crisp maneuvers that it really worked and I was skeptical beforehand I thought well if you can have Crowley like have him come out as like one of the last ones maybe have Sassy go through all the people and then it's like who's the last one you have Crowley come out and then you hear his music hit when it all went down and I think I had the benefit of actually being at the sound desk to watch this one because I didn't have to watch it back on the phone thing you're there you're in the room you get to see it firsthand you have a firsthand experience you feel the energy of the crowd and yeah I thoroughly enjoyed it I thought it was really good well, the only thing I thought was if this is my thinking, the guys are probably going to get, even though Crowley is now a babyface, the guys are going to get more sympathy if they get trounced with these fucking, with these big moves. My other thinking was that if Crowley comes out and loses to Sassy, that doesn't do any harm to Sassy's character. And it doesn't do any harm to Crowley's character because he's just beaten 
three or four, however many people, five other people to get to Sassy and he's been distracted. I thought if I left Crowley out to last, because I was always going to put Sassy over in that gauntlet, but if I left Crowley to last and Sassy beat him, does a bit of damage to his character. Even with the distraction, he's fresh, Sassy isn't. That was what I thought. So that was why I booked it that way. But having said that, I did give, even though I booked the order and said roughly what I wanted, I did not have any part in planning that match or putting it together. I don't know who did. I assume Crowley had a lot to do with that. And it sort of makes sense because the match made sense. And he's, he has got a very good mind for putting stuff together. So good, solid little segment by them all. I was really pleased. Sometimes when you strip things down a bit, make them simple and you don't overcomplicate more than they deserve to be, they actually come out as pretty decent pieces of pretty decent pieces of work. So I'll give you five stars to everyone who was involved in that match. Good little deal. Fucking awesome job. Yep, five crowns from me. Then we went on to match number five. This was a grudge match. Jaden Scar versus Jack Landers. Match number two for Jack and Jaden with the first going down at Lynn Sport with Jaden picking up the win there. After that, Jaden was done with Jack and wanted to move on to the Falling Star Wrestling title. Scar had his chance the last time we were at West Lynn, but... Due to a slight distraction by Landers, this caused Jaden to squander his chance at the gold. Jack makes his way down to the ring in this match. He vaults over the top rope and rolls through, and then Jack is immediately met with a super kick from Jaden Scar, and this match starts as it means to go on. Really good way to start the match. Jaden then goes on the offense straight away, even before Jack has managed to get his ring jacket off. Shots to the face and stomach. The calculating Jaden Scar is picking Landers apart. Jack is sent hard into the buckle, but if Evades the attack from Jaden and leaps over and goes on the offense with several kicks to the prone Jaden Scar. The audience chant one more time in hopes of seeing Jaden get his head kicked in again. Now with the speed and pace picking up, Jack jumping around like the spring-heeled menace he is, eventually landing a textbook drop kick on Jaden who bails out of the ring. Landers meets him on the outside with a plancher. Jack follows this by running Jaden into the post and the pair fight around the ring, giving out the real main event feel. On the outside, Jaden and taunts Jack's parents who are watching along and with bated breath hoping that Jack can vanquish the unstoppable Jaden Scar. Jack tries his best and lumps Scar with some really stiff chops and, and shots to the chest amongst the Falling Star Wrestling crowd. Eventually Jack rolls Jaden into the ring but the savvy Scar lands the desperation curb stomp as Landers is making his way into the ring. The tide has turned again very quickly. Jack manages to duck the clothesline and the pair come crashing together both thinking about throwing a clothesline the ref begins to count the duo get to their knees and trade strikes until both are on their feet beating the crap out of one another jack begins to get some more momentum and Jaden rolls to safety from landing a shooting star from landers jack goes up to the second and attempts a swanton but sees that Jaden has moved so he rolls through but is then caught by a heel kick from Jaden scar Jaden is thinking about ending this with the pedigree but landers reverses this into a modified reverse pile driver type move but this is also only a able to get the two count. Jack is thinking the same and tries to end this match as well. But like Jack, Jaden is able to evade and scout Jack's big move and lands a pedigree in the end. Does this spell the end for Jack Landers? One, two, Jack is still in the game, much to the crowd's relief. A prone Jack is put into Jaden's new signature submission, the crossface chicken wing. Jack runs Scar into the corner and attempts a handspring stunner, but Scar is one step ahead and gets Jack back into the chicken wing. Jack 
Jack looks in deep trouble right now. Tries he might, Jack is unable to get to the ropes and he is fading fast. The referee lifts Jack's arm up once and it drops to the canvas. He lifts it up twice. It drops to the canvas again. He lifts it up for a third time, but with a stroke of luck, Jack's arm lands on the bottom rope, breaking the hold and keeping Jack in the match. Jaden is furious, so he finds a steel chair underneath the ring and starts to take things to the next level. Jack's mum, Joe, she's watching and grabs the steel chair from Jaden before he can wield it upon her son. Visibly pissed off, Jaden walks towards Joe, who is not intimidated by Jaden, and she slaps him across the face and the crowd erupt with applause. This was a great moment and you can just see the rage building on Jaden's face as he turns around and pushes Joe into the corner. But by this time, Jack is back to his feet and nails Jaden with a dropkick in the corner. This stuns Scar just enough for Jack to land that stunner and the victory. The Falling Star Wrestling fans go wild. And this was a cracking end to what was a really great match. Proper main event quality match. Both guys worked incredibly hard and put a lot of work into this match. And you can really tell because there were multiple twists and turns throughout. And you just didn't know who was going to come out on top. I love the ending with Jack's mum, Joe, getting involved. They worked that to a treat and it really helped build that match to a cool finish. The pair are now one all. And I guess we're probably going to see a third and final match between the two. And I have no idea who's going to come out on top. I do feel for the pair of Jack and Jaden because they've managed, in my opinion, to top their Linsport match, but I don't know how they're going to top this one. But I do know that they're both intelligent, they're both ring savvy enough to be able to pull it out of the bag. And I, for one, cannot wait to see round three of Jack Landers and Jaden Scar. Jimmy, over to you, sir. Yeah, I mean, you know, you said it all. The intelligence that was shown by these two guys in putting this match together, in building it up, they did everything correctly. I never talk about moves more than psychology, but they did everything correctly. It needed to be a hot start. They made it a hot start. They needed the intensity of the fight. They had the intensity of the fight. They needed the cool moves because that's what Jack and Jaden are known for, especially Jack with his flippy moves. But he did some flips and bits and bobs. But due to the obviously the fact that West End hasn't got a high ceiling for Jack to do a lot of his stuff on, and also the fact that these two genuinely do hate each other, there wasn't as many flips. And the fact that they use sparingly means more. And the sort of last five minutes was just. It was fucking great. I loved it when um, fucking this again the intelligence of it, intelligence of it, the small bits, the way that they're learning how to protect their moves, they're learning how to protect themselves, but whilst also putting together a match that made sense and also being very giving as well. But just like that, Jaden's trying to put the cross face on, but he can't wrap his legs around. He can't get it around. He can't put on the hold properly. But Jack is still fading because even a cross face with the, the legs not locked in is pretty much a game ending. But you know when you lock those legs in, that's a game ender. So when that springboard, and they caught it beautifully, the timing was superb. When Jack went to hit that that hamstring stunner and fucking that was it. Jane caught him. He had him for the finish. And yeah, it was beautiful. I don't think I've ever seen that before. I don't watch a great deal of wrestling outside of WWE, really. But I have not seen that finish where the hand would have dropped if it wasn't for the bottom rope keeping the hand from dropping. I've never seen that. 
So that that blew my mind. If they came up with that idea, then fucking that's one of the best fucking things that I've seen in a long time. If they didn't, they copied it, then what a great time to fucking copy it. There's not much in wrestling that's new anymore. So if you use it from what you saw, that still doesn't make it any less effective. Joe played her part well. The slap, she didn't pull it. Like everything, the finish was beautiful. But it was such a well-constructed story with amazing twists and turns. So there's this thing in wrestling, you can put as many bells and whistles on something as you like, but unless you've got a really good story that threads through the match, then it's still not going to work. The crowd aren't going to be able to follow it. So they had enough there for, say, a smart market crowd who were going to watch it, but they also had, they didn't do too much for people who are casuals who've never watched wrestling before. And believe me, there were some there because I've met them after the show. They can still enjoy that match. It's a shame because I'd say that was a match of the year candidate for the Christmas shows, which normally have good matches on them. The match doesn't, we'll carry it on to next year because it'd be interesting to see if that match holds the test of time because it was really great. It was really great. One apiece, that rubber match will, will happen at some point. And the finish also. Again, it leaves Jaden something to hold on to, which is if Jaden can say, if it wasn't for your fucking family getting involved, then you wouldn't have won. Do you know what I mean? I would have won again. I would have got you. You, you, you got your fucking family involved, distracting me, slapping me about, blah, blah, blah. As a heel, he's got something to hold on to. And that was an important thing to carry on for this third match. And I also think that, personal feuds that that have that really personal almost realistic storyline going through them they're always so much more compelling than stories that are about a championship and a feud with two people who don't like each other because they're after a belt sometimes you can take that title away and make it about a genuine actual feud that could really be genuinely happening between two people who really fucking hate each other. There doesn't need to be a belt involved. You can still create a really amazing and sometimes more compelling story. I think personal feuds, bad blood, that kind of thing is far more interesting and far more compelling than people fighting for a title and will draw money over title fights at any time. Just, Just such a good job by both guys and so intelligently constructed within that sort of wrestling reality that we live in psychology. And I know we always give a five-star rating for that one, but for falling star wrestling, on that night, that match, that position, there was a five-star match in quality, five-star match in psychology, and five-star match for effort. I thought it was fucking brilliant. I really did. Yeah, it was fantastic, and there's no way you can't give that a five-star, especially on a show like this. They could have gone out there and pulled a few punches and went at sort of 70% throughout the match, but they took the match and they went 100%. They took the ball by the horns and they put everything they could into the match. They worked so hard, and I just said to Jack after the match, I was like, that was an incredible match, but I'm sorry, mate. Your mum's more over than you are, mate. (laughs) Unfortunately, Joe got a giant pop when she slapped Jane across the face, but that was just a... Again, like you said there, Jimmy, it's just added that personal touch in there. And I think people can relate to that. Jaden's such 
He's such a despicable character that just people detest and despise. And especially when he's trying to bully and pick on Jack's parents and their parents in the crowd, they know what it's like for their kids to be bullied and picked on and for them, for the parent to be able to step in front of them and defend their children from being attacked and stuff like that. But in the confines of this wrestling business, it was just such a great moment. And... Joe's been involved in both matches. In the first match at Linsport, she had to throw in the towel because Jaden Scar had that chicken wing locked in. He had his legs grapevined around Jack and there was no way that Jack could get to the ropes. In this match, she saved Jack from getting clattered by the steel chair, which would have been a disqualification. The referee was still up at this point. There was no shenanigans going on there. But how is she going to fare in this third and final rubber match? If it is going to be a final rubber match, we don't know what's going to happen in that match. There could be anything. If you look at if you look at it from a psychological point of view, right, and this is what makes the story great, realistically, t- to me, is that in the first match, Jack lost because of Joe. She threw in the towel, right? But she threw in the towel because Jack was done. If she hadn't have thrown in the towel, Jaden wouldn't have let go of the hold. It could have been held on for longer, and it could have caused Jack some serious injury. So she threw in the towel to save her son. In this match, she saw fucking Jaden Scar was absolutely livid off of his head with pure rage. He was going to get a chair. The last time something like that happened, Jaden Scar fucking destroyed Jack when he turned on him at the Watlington show. She dealt with having to look after her son after that attack. She didn't want to see it again. So she stopped her son from getting hurt, really hurt again. But this time, because of that, Jack won. So Joe's motives are clear both times. She's stopping her son from potentially ending up fucking, potentially ending up in, in hospital or worse. So the reason is the same, but the outcome is different. And I love that. You could do so much with that. And it adds that personal touch to it, which is going on in no other rivalry in Fallen Star Wrestling. That's why I always say the show's variety is the key. And we really have, A, we've got variety in our shows and in our matches. But this little added thing with Jack's family being involved in it, it it gives Jaden a right to say in his next match, right, the next match we have, if your family do decide to get involved, I can, I'll be able to fucking take their heads off because it's a street fight. So there's no me getting DQ'd this fucking time. Do you know what I mean? Or there's no this, there's no that, and there's no towel thrown in. There's nothing. I'll choke you until you even fucking pass out, drop dead. It doesn't matter. That doesn't, no, no amount of towels being thrown in is going to stop this shit. Or that, will we bung them in a cage or we fucking bung them in a ladder match. Or we do something where the, it doesn't matter what the family do or in this particular occasion, it doesn't matter. It's going to have no bearing. Jaden Scar's character can do what he likes to anyone, and Jack can and can do the same. And so they're on a the level footing. You don't know where you can take it. I'm not saying that's where we will take it. I'm saying that there's so many options, which is fantastic. And that was why the big pub was there for Joe Stubb, because like you said, every mother would fucking die for their kids. And, that is, and so would every father. So every parent would. So that's what we're trying to get across with the story. And it's very smart having the family involved in some way, shape or form. I'm not saying too much, but in some way, shape or form, because it gives a different aspect to that story, which is great. Something completely new FSW. We've never done it before and it's working a treat. 
Yeah, great bit of business by Jack and Jaden and also Joe in there. Then after that match, we went into the Falling Star Wrestling Awards segment. We had five awards to give out. And we've been talking about it on the Falling Star Wrestling podcast. We've got Trainee of the Year, Newcomer of the Year, Fan of the Year, Wrestler of the Year, and Match of the Year. Jimmy Starr was in the middle of the ring to announce all of the winners. And just to go through these pretty quickly, we announced it on the Falling Star Wrestling Facebook page. So that's where all the updates are. We had Trainee of the Year, Sophie Williamson. and. Jimmy, you, you did mention this in the ring. I don't know if you want to say anything on the podcast now about Sophie and her sort of training experience. Yeah, I was just thoroughly, thoroughly impressed by the amount of dedication she's shown. She's turned up to everything, every seminar, every match, every show, every Wednesday. She's always been there. The only time she's ever missed anything is because she's had to do a gymnastic competition. And I got the impression she'd prefer to be a wrestling anyway. So it's something that she's had to do. She's still only a young lady. She's 14 years old. And again, like I said, during when I announced the awards, it wasn't about who's improved the most in terms of wrestling ability. And I'm not saying that Sophie hasn't. She's doing exceptionally well in her wrestling training. But what I'm saying is it's about the dedication that you're showing to this craft of professional wrestling. And she is showing a huge amount of dedication there's a lot of people who deserve that award from the Falling Star Wrestling Academy, but she just pipped it to the post for me because just of the sheer amount of sessions she's turned up to, she wouldn't miss a thing. She's loving it. She's loving every second. So well-deserved. Yeah, great job, Sophie. And we'll be talking about you later on in the podcast. We had Newcomer of the Year. This was voted on by the Falling Star Wrestling fans. And this was three years and under in Falling Star Wrestling. And the winner of this one was Ollie Cole. He came out to accept his award. And uh, yeah, you put him over pretty big in the ring there, Jim. Can't remember what I said. Sure, I was very nice. I was quite drunk at this point, so I probably would have said anything. <laughs> but no, I'm joking. It was actually, yeah, of course, I meant every word I said. He's got a really big future. Anyone can see that. And I suppose I can reveal now that actually on, on the voting of the awards, it was fairly close in, in other aspects. But people like him. People want to see him do well. They've taken to him. This was probably one of the more hotly contested categories in terms of variation of candidates i can't really say that i disagree he's done this really well and i can see him i can see him doing great things if he carries on and just keeps the fucking just keeps a straight head on him he'll be fine yeah, bright future for Ollie Cole. Then we went on to Fan of the Year, and this was won by Little Billy. And Billy came into the ring, and you said, Billy, do you want to say anything? And he grabbed the microphone out of your hand with such conviction, and he thanked his father for coming down to the wrestling show. And we know Billy, he's having a bit of a hard time at the moment, so it's nice for us to give back to Billy. And then we had Danny from the BCB. He came out, and it was Billy's birthday as well, so we gave him a little gift in there. Nice little moment for Billy, Fan of the Year at Falling Star Wrestling. Yeah, and like you said, his family's going for a rough time at the moment. His mum is in hospital. I'm not going to go into their personal business, so I'm not going to say why for the people who don't know why, but it's not shaping up to be the best of Christmases for them. So if anyone could show any support, I think they've got a GoFundMe page knocking around somewhere. I would assume it would be on, on Kelly's Facebook, or we might be able to put it on the Fallen Star Wrestling page at some point. If you can, give a little, because... Is, is a really rough time for him. And Billy has been a great fan. He's been to all the shows. He's really excited. He loves it. He loves all the guys. And he's just a really nice, happy lad to have around. And people are quite dear to him. Plus, he comes to training too. So it's obviously, we've obviously 
made a little bit of a difference in his lives as wrestlers and he obviously looks up to us all so it's it just seemed like the, it seemed like the right thing to do and it was nice as well for the BCB to get out of a little birthday present too because I think it was his birthday either on that day or fairly close to that day. Yeah, cracking little lad, Billy. Then we had the award for Wrestler of the Year, and the winner of this one was our Falling Star Wrestling champion, Callie Gray. The Black Rose came down to the ring. He said his thank yous, and then he left pretty swiftly, and we all know why Callie Gray is Wrestler of the Year. He's had some incredible matches over the past 12 months. He's captured that Falling Star Wrestling title, and I've been in the ring with him, and it's an absolute pleasure, and the boy, has he's still got a long way to go in terms of he hasn't even hit his peak yet. He's going to get there soon and when he does oh he's going to be one hell of a talent right jim he's frighteningly good frighteningly good from the guy who turned up at falling star wrestling to the guy he is now just absolute pro gets the business the modern business especially is a really nice guy backstage he's so fucking he's such a cool guy in fact that night i went out drinking with him and it's the first time we've been out on the drink together i think I, well, I don't know why I'm surprised about that. I don't really drink anymore, but on that Saturday night I did. And we went out and about, and it was just really nice to see him in that environment, but outside of a show environment, because he's just a really fucking good guy. He's a fucking good guy, but in in between those ropes, he's just he is really superb. He's got the world at his feet. The only person who can kick that fucking, who can kick that opportunity away from him is himself and he he doesn't seem to be doing that because every time I look on Facebook he's been at another show and another show and I should imagine he's putting the same quality of matches in there as he has been at Falling Star Wrestling so to have that level of quality in his matches for the whole year with every different opponent just having these amazing matches and I'm not saying that it's not down to his dance partner because wrestling is always a two-way street it seems to be if you've got Cali Gray on your card and you got him in a match that he's going to put in 110% and on an absolute clinic every time seems impossible to have a bad match with him so we're really pleased and proud of him. And that's why he's our champion. Couldn't agree more, Jim. Wrestler of the Year, Callie Gray. Then we went to our final award of the year. It's, this was Match of the Year. And the winner of this was the TLC four-way tag team title match from Linsport. I have the Tiger. Jimmy, you're in the ring. The sound came down. We had a bulk in the crowd and Crowley came down. So we had four different plaques to give out to everybody. And we had a little moment in there. The sound, they were gloating. They were holding up their Falling Star Wrestling Championships. And then we had a little bit of an embrace with Crowley because we know what we went through in that war, that TLC match at Linsport. And yeah, I enjoyed the match. And I would just want to thank the crowd for voting for that match because we put a lot of time, effort, money, and just energy into that match. And for them to view that as the best match of the whole entire year, that's cool, man, right? Yeah, definitely. Like, I believe it was probably the best spectacle of the year where it was the best match is obviously down for interpretation but if enough people interpreted that was the best match of the year who am I to argue I've tried for some reason justify why I should be in another match of the year and it isn't just I there was four of us in there and I know that I was nervous about it and tried really hard to do my best and I think everyone did on that night we all tried really hard to do our best and put on something that was totally different and we succeeded it was action all the way 
and chaos, but the story was there and a title change was there. It was an extremely exciting, exhilarating match and a good experience for the crowd, I would imagine. So I can now I'm now at peace with myself. And I actually think, no, we probably did deserve to win that because one of us could have quite easily died. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God we didn't, because then we wouldn't be around to witness our final match of the Christmas extravaganza. This was the like looking in the mirror Christmas rumble. The theme for the rumble was dress up as another falling star wrestling superstar. And we had some great costumes, I guess, if you can call that. So notably we had Nix. She came as a Furio. We had Danny Fear as, um, as Crowley. We also had Clarence as Crowley. We had Ash Bash as Mitch Basher. Alex Miller was dressed up as Samuel bloody Wakefield. Rashwood dressed as Bobby Adams, Bobby Adams dressed as Rashwood. And the one that topped them all off and made me absolutely, absolutely crease was ollie cole came out dressed as Brody knox he looked fantastic now i'm not going to go through the whole rumble but i'll take you to the final four which was the sound rashwood as adams and adams as rashwood with Brody knox which you know we found out was ollie cole and then we had trainee of the year sophie williamson in there too she managed to outlast all of the other superstars they all got chucked over the top rope so that was the final four rashwood is checking out his quote unquote girlfriend brody knocks then then he soon discovers that she's wearing a wig and it's not actually brody it's ollie cole so rashwood and adams they take the wig off of ollie cole he looks in disgust and horror they chuck ollie cole over the top rope and then they gloat as ollie goes tumbling out of the ring but they turn their back on sophie who's in the corner she takes advantage of the sound and with one fell swoop she dumps both Adams and Rashwood over the top rope to become the winner of the 2022 Christmas Rumble a cool and fun way to end the show and as long as you get the ending right rumbles are always good fun for the crowd to watch because there's so much chaos and then you have the intrigue when it comes down to the final three or the final four Sophie wins the rumble gets a massive boost in confidence and these rumbles are a great way to feature the younger guys who don't have that confidence to go out there and have a singles match or a tag team match and be heavily featured and uh, I guess to, to wrap up the show all in all the 2022 Christmas show it was a bit of a roller coaster show it was jam-packed full of ups and downs had its high points had its low points but I think overall the audience seemed to really have a good time and the wrestlers got to let their hair down a little bit and just have some fun to see the year out it was a good mix of fun and silly there was stiff and serious and I think we managed to do that all throughout the show if you want to nitpick the show from a pure wrestling standpoint standpoint you're going to find some gaping holes there were some things that you can call wrestling some things that you could call just pure fun and entertainment but that's what it was all about it was fun it was entertaining and that was exactly what it should be i had fun i hope the crowd had fun jimmy did you have fun mate i had a lot of fun i had a lot of fun and one thing i did like to see was just this this is what the xmas bash represents to me we've got our shows that we need to obviously think about next year. And we still have to add a lot of twists and turns and things that fit within the Falling Star Wrestling sort of the show boundaries, the way that we normally would put on a show. So for next year, there's intrigue and people come back. But we also need to realise that it's our Christmas show. It's about fun. It's about giving people opportunities like you said, in that rumble, putting people like Sophie and giving them a win and an experience 
that they will remember for the rest of their life. If Sophie never does a thing ever again in wrestling, which she will do, the joy on her face, the real legitimate, serious, deep joy in her face when she won that rumble, when she dumped Rashwood and Adams over the top rope, and obviously got in the ring and raised her hand as just to MC the rumble, got to raise her hand. I looked in her eyes and it was just euphoric. Now, if we can do that for her, then in my opinion, that show's worth doing because that's, in fact, the fucking whole 10 years of Fallen Star Wrestling is worth doing because I've seen not only have we done that for her, we've done that for other people. I've looked out into the crowd before and I've seen people in absolute fucking floods of tears before in happiness. And I've seen people so pissed off that they want to kill us. And I've seen all these amazing emotions and experiences evoked through what we do at Falling Star Wrestling and what wrestling does in general, if put on well, if put on correctly. Now, yeah, we've obviously, the Falling Star Christmas Bash, we've, we just throw every bit of shit at the wall and see what sticks. And by shit, I don't mean like the talent is shit. I just mean, as I say, let's throw all the shit at the wall and see what sticks. Well, some of it sticks, some of it doesn't stick and drizzles down, but some of it sticks. And the important thing is, the important thing is about it all is that people have fun. Wrestling is meant to be fun. And as wrestlers, we need to remember that sometimes. And sometimes it takes a show like the Christmas Bash to remember, for the wrestlers to remember as well as the crowd, that, yeah, okay, for some people, this is their livelihood. For some people, this is what they want to do for the rest of their life. And for some people, this is they want to go out there and achieve greatness. Well, that's fucking awesome. And I'm really pleased that's that you want to do that. But if you're not having fun whilst you're doing it, what's the point? And if you're not enjoying it, what's the point? And if it doesn't bring you joy, what's the point? You might as well try and get a job, an office job, which is going to pay you a hell of a lot better. And it's going to treat your body a hell of a lot better too. So this is a very difficult trade that we've chosen to pursue. And it's not easy. None of us are rich. None of us are fucking, especially the guys who've been doing it a long time. None of us are feeling too great physically. We've all got our bumps and bruises. But we do it because we love it. And the Christmas bash each year is a reminder to the fans and to the wrestlers and to, to the guys who are training and fucking forging their own little path in the wrestling business. It's a reminder of us all to have fucking fun. And if we generate a little bit of fun that night, even with some of the stuff being stupid and things that we wouldn't normally do on a normal Fallen Star Wrestling show, that doesn't matter because that wasn't a normal Fallen Star Wrestling show. It was fun. It's sometimes okay just to go out there and have a fucking good time. And I hope that's the I hope that's the feeling that we generated that night. And I just want to take this opportunity to thank all the wrestlers that have wrestled for Fallen Star Wrestling in 2022. And that includes anyone who couldn't be there on, on Saturday night or any guys who have come down and done any seminars, anything like that, a big, huge thank you to, to Rob and Jack for doing the seminars when I can't do them and all the other jobs that everyone else does aside from 
being in the ring. Like you, you're always there to do the music and lights. And a huge thank you to Matthew Harrison. Honestly, like the fucking just the guys at Godsend performing Star Wrestling at the moment. He's, he, I've heard people rightly so say our pictures and our graphics and all the all our socials and everything since Matt has been involved has, has been the best in the country from, from what other promotions are churning out there. We're churning out amazing shit and amazing stuff. I've heard people say about I Have a Tiger show. It's the best live wrestling show that they've seen through. And this is other promotions. This is including a lot of the other top name promotions out there. The little promotion that could fall in Star Wrestling is putting on, are putting on shows with production values that piss on theirs and matches and shows that are doing absolutely amazing. Now, again, it's it's not about me being aggressive in 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 trying to take everything over, but I'm my fucking blood runs red with falling star wrestling. So when people say that we're putting on better shows than our competition, then I'm going to take that fucking, I'm going to take that as a massive boost. And when people say that I, the tiger is one of the best wrestling shows that they've seen anywhere in the fucking country with the best production values, that makes me beam with absolute pride because we finally getting somewhere. We're finally getting the recognition that we deserve. And that's what 2023 is going to be about. It's going to be about getting the recognition that we deserve. But the only way we're going to do that is by hard work, pushing ourselves harder than we have done in training, pushing our matches harder than we've ever done before, being more imaginative, being more creative, having better storylines than everyone else, having better matches than everyone else, having t- telling better stories, making people suspend their disbelief, bringing that 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 whole oh what the fuck's gonna happen next aspect to 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 wrestling again and doing it in a proper way that makes sense and people can understand so they can follow the journey with us 2023 is about falling star wrestling getting the recognition that it deserves for the past 11 12 years that it's been going or would have been going by 2023 we are going to get the recognition we deserve and we're going to go out there and we're going to start taking hauls and taking names because we're fucking, oh, we are ready. We've been ready for a long time, but we're super duper ready now. And with the talent that's coming up and hopefully more people joining the Falling Cyrus in Academy as time goes along, there's there really is no stopping us. This has been our best year. 2022 has been our best year, not just show quality wise, but financially as well. Sure, there might have been one or two shows there that were maybe up to scratch our normal shows, but they've still been fucking pretty good. We've improved on all fronts, but we're not going to fucking sit there and stare in our own juices for too long and sit there and think we're the bee's knees. Still a lot of room for improvement. I know that, you know that, we all know that. But 2023 is where people start standing up, taking notice and going, who the fuck are these guys? And, and that's all I can say. So thank you to everyone who's come to our shows and supported us. Thank you to every wrestler who's been involved. Thank you to anyone who's been involved in any of our shows in any capacity. And I can't thank the fans enough. You've been amazing. Keep coming back. Keep pimping out the show. Word of mouth. Tell people this is the fucking highest ticket in town because it really is. Happy New Year and a Merry Christmas to you, Shawnee. 
thank you for a wonderful year not just again not for all you just you do for Fallen Star Wrestling but including the fact that Fallen Star Wrestling has been really amazing in every aspect I've had one of my funnest years being your tag team partner it's been a real treat for me and I've learned a lot too off you being doing the tag team wrestling and it's been it's been a real pleasure so thank you and thank everyone Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and of course, a massive Merry Christmas from me too. We love you. We couldn't do this or the live shows without you. So thank you very much. That was the review of the Christmas show, Falling Star Wrestling's last show of 2022. If you made it there on Saturday night, you'll know just how much fun it was. And if you couldn't make it, well, there's going to be plenty of chances to come and see us live and in action next year. 2023 is going to be the year of Falling Star Wrestling. The first Westland show of 2023 will be on Saturday, 14th of January, so keep that one in mind, but we'll be talking about that more and more once we get past Christmas and the New Year's hangover. If you haven't already, please do us a solid and rate and review this podcast on whichever podcast app you listen to it on. Five stars would be the perfect Christmas gift for your boy PVC. It shouldn't take two seconds to tap that five-star button and it would mean the world. If you've already done so, but you haven't yet checked out Falling Star Wrestling on Facebook and Instagram, well, now's the best time. Matthew is putting out some quality work over there, so show him and Falling Star Wrestling some love. It's at Falling Star Wrestling on Facebook and Instagram. Follow Matthew on Instagram. It's at Matt underscore RJH. And you can find me on Facebook and Instagram too at PVC Pro Wrestler. Merry Christmas and a happy new year. Take care and look after each other. And we'll see you next time for another edition of the Falling Star Wrestling Podcast. Merry Christmas. Bye-bye. Work. Right, when, like, did you write um, that Tommy Lawrence line in on purpose? Because that was yeah. Like, bad <laughs> oh. I had to. Oh fuck! That was beautiful. <laughs> that, that fucking tickled me. Sometimes <laughs> inspiration rapidly. strikes, and you just have to <laughs> put it out just there have on to write, yeah. paper. That was at three o'clock in the morning. John thinking I got to write that down because I'll forget about that in the morning. You just have to unleash it into the world. Yeah. Well, when. when you're talking about Tommy and his cock, it's definitely being unleashed.